In this episode, I chat with Claire, a VP at GSV Ventures. GSV Ventures have invested in edtech giants I'm sure you're familiar with, like Coursera, ClassDojo, and Turnitin. Claire breaks down the essence of GSV Ventures and what their investment thesis is when they look for what they refer to as pre-K to gray startups. Claire happens to write GSV's AI news and updates newsletter. So of course we go in depth on how companies are embracing AI, including intriguing David versus Goliath dynamics between edtech incumbents and new startups. She then shares valuable advice for startups, such as whether to think of AI as a feature or as a platform, and offers key insights on when startups should maybe refrain from implementing AI. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to the EdTech Lab podcast, where we dive into the world of education technology with fellow academics, educators, and entrepreneurs. Join us as we explore the latest trends and innovations that are shaping education. I'm your host, Maita. Hi, Claire. Hi. You're joining us. You currently work at GSV Ventures. I'd love to know more about what you do there and what GSV Ventures is for those who are listening and don't quite know. Yeah. Um, so maybe I'll kick off first with GSV Ventures um, and you know GSV broadly as a platform. Um, and then I'll, I'll talk a little bit about my role there. Uh, but GSV, there's, there's a lot going on under that broader umbrella. But two big components, um, which, both of which I've had multiple touch points with, um, are GSV Ventures as well as ACGC Summit. Um, so GSV's broader mission is to really scale education access, delivery of high quality education, um, and through that, you know, expand equal access to the future and opportunity for all. Um, through that, we started a summit, which is the ACGC summit. Uh, and then we also, out of that, uh, invested in or started a fund called GSV Ventures, which is an early stage ed tech VC fund. Um, you know, it really started out of us seeing a ton of deal flow in the space, um, just excitement about the innovation and, and builders in the space. And so we started investing in early stage startups focused on education and the future of work. Um, so, you know, that that really spawns across the stands across the pre-K to gray spectrum is like what we like to call it. Um, early stage in that, you know, primarily seed series A, but we're pretty flexible um, really, we're just looking for category leading uh, and transformational businesses that have both a focus on return on education and a return on investment. Um, and so my kind of focus there, I'm a vice president on the team. Uh, I drive a lot of our earlier side of that pre-K to gray focus. So everyone on the team, very well versed and excited about the education space. But I do spend quite a bit of time looking at early childhood businesses, um, looking at the entire K-12 uh, side of the house, and then uh, also drive a lot of our uh, AI focus. Um, I write a weekly AI and education newsletter. Um, generally, very excited about all uh, tech in the space. So, also excited about XR technologies, Web three applications of education. Um, so, pretty much spend all my time thinking about the future of education and and emerging technologies. What exactly do you guys have an investment thesis, or is there something in particular that you're looking for in these companies? Definitely as, you know, sector specific investors, we look for any sort of business touching education or the future of work. And I think it actually is a pretty broad definition in that the, the companies we invest in don't necessarily have to exist in a classroom or they're not necessarily school businesses. We're really looking for uh, businesses that are sit at that intersection of technology and education. So really something that is technology first, that is scaling access. Um, and delivering higher quality education and giving leverage to learning leaders through technology. Um, so really looking for that tech angle. 
Uh, and then also looking for companies that are really have a focus on impact and return on education as well as return on investment. So I think we see a lot of businesses that, you know, potentially serve uh, high income populations, such as like certain tutoring businesses. And those can be lucrative, too. But we're looking really looking again to emphasize on that tech angle businesses that can serve mass market. Um, so whether that's the majority of teachers and the majority of learners or the majority of employees, we're not really looking for, you know, high value, but, you know, or, or high cost, but um, a very specific niche 1% mm. market that can afford it. Um, so really looking for those scaled plays. Um, and then, yeah, as I mentioned, another big ingredient is just making sure that, you know, they're not necessarily service businesses, but tech businesses um, that, that can really sustain um, exciting growth trajectories. And you guys are very good at what you do at what you just said. I know this because you have huge names in your portfolio at the moment. <laughs> um, can you give some examples of, of who those are? Yeah, yeah. So we've invested in, uh, I think w what's awesome is we're industry specific focus on education and future work, but there's a variety of businesses that we've invested in um, as it relates to just like who they're serving, um, the actual business model that they leverage. So a couple of names that come to mind, you know, we invested in Coursera, which is now a public business. Uh, we invested in a company called Class Dojo, uh, which exists in many, many classrooms and schools today. It really sits at the intersection of serving multiple stakeholders across students, parents, and teachers. So that's another example of a business that manages to, to add value to all these different stakeholders within the education system. Uh, we've made a series of investments in heavy like AI businesses. So invested in a company called Photomath uh, in kind of the early days, pre-Gen AI hype um, cycle. Uh, and also a similar story where we invested in companies like Turnitin and Gradescope, also deep technical teams using AI to, to hyper-personalize or um, scale education. So those are just a couple examples. There's many, many more in our portfolios, as you know. Uh, but what I love about it is that, you know, they all are really focused on impact and mission, um, ultimately allow more people to learn and um, better learning. And they, uh, you know, do that in a capacity of different ways, whether they're B2C um, traditional consumer-facing applications or ones that get distributed through schools. Um, some are more, uh, you know, immersive learning-oriented that focus on using cool technologies like XR, AR, VR technologies. Others are delivering really important tech, um, you know, tech-enabled high-dosage tutoring. So um, there's just so much variety, and and that's what I love about it. Yeah. For those who don't know, very big names. Um, you can go look at the portfolio yourselves as well. It's very impressive companies. Before we move on to the next piece, which you've mentioned already, you know, the topic of the moment is AI. Um, I want to mm -hmm. close this first half and just talk about like yeah. what you do day to day. What does your role entail? I know you you sat on both kind of the investing side of things, but also the program management side in terms of the summit. What does it look like now? You know, there, there's so many synapses that get connected across both of those teams. The GSV Ventures platform would not be where it is without the amazing work that we do on the summit front. The summit would not have such rich content um, if it weren't, you know, for the, the themes that we're constantly identifying uh, on the Ventures front. So there's a ton of symbiosis across those two teams. And I've been lucky enough to sit across both those teams um, in, in the, kind of the summit work. A lot of it was really just thinking about high level, what are the most important themes in the space? It really allowed me to get a very high level bird's eye view of the entire ecosystem of 
here are the 800 most important businesses in the space. Here's how they relate to one another, what topics are most top of mind for them. And so a lot of my work there was focused on connecting those dots, uh, thinking through, you know, what these businesses are hoping to share their insights on who, and, and, you know, by through that, I basically developed a very strong pattern recognition of what companies fit in where in the broader ecosystem, who we can talk to when we have questions about XYZ topic. Uh, and so that was a lot of my program work. It was also just super fun to be able to think through, you know, stepping out of the education ecosystem, thinking through what type of leaders across the broader tech innovation space. So, you know, being able to, to think through how John Doerr, um, you know, the CEO of Kleiner Perkins or uh, Bill Gates, for example, at the most recent summit, um, how these leaders who are just broadly tech leaders are thinking about education. We've also had stars like Mindy Kaling or Tiffany Haddish uh, or even athletes um, like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. So it, it's fun to be able to see how important education is and the mission, how much the mission carries forward beyond just the education ecosystem. So got to do kind of the bird's eye view of, of education only, but also scope that out to how important this mission is to the entire world and, and you know, spaces beyond the education space. Um, and then on the ventures front, as I mentioned, uh, a lot of the work, you know, is very cohesive across the platform. Uh, my day-to-day -day job is, you know, identifying the, the next big companies in the space. And I love it because it's kind of like, you know, forecasting the future of what technologies and what business models are coming next. Um, I love that, you know, you get to just kind of like be predicting the future. <laughs> um, and that's your job. And, and through that constantly learning. So a lot of it is speaking with companies in the space, getting a better sense of what's coming, how people are thinking about different technologies and applications and developing kind of a sense of, of how the market is shaping out and evolving. Uh, a lot of that is also constantly learning from incumbents in the space. So I think what's amazing is, you know, in venture, it's not every day is a very different job. And, and some days I'm spending more time learning from people in the space uh, who are discussing what tools they're using. A lot of times we're talking to end users, such as teachers themselves, administrators, higher ed leaders, CLOs, CHROs, to better understand what needs they have and pain points. And I think that's why we've had a lot of really strong sense of, of what businesses will scale here is exactly because of those relationships we've developed on the summit front, but also because we're doing this work outside of just talking to companies and actually getting to understand the, the market beyond just here's the product. A lot of it is also diligencing and referencing um, in that sense. And then I think just a lot of other work around just making sure we're adding as much value as possible to our uh, startups in our, our portfolios, but also those outside of our portfolio. Um, I think the reason why we host the summit and why we create this forum for everyone to gather is because we we think, you know, as long as we're pushing the broader mission forward, it benefits everyone in the space. And so there are times, even if a company is in our portfolio, we are able to, you know, hopefully add value to them and stay connected with them by connecting a lot of the different players in the ecosystem. And then, of course, for our portfolio company, uh, as someone sitting on the investment team, just constantly trying to find ways for them to, you know, not only benefit their strategy internally, um, help them rethink a lot of their business model, and even just help with hiring, just given our, our broad depth 
in the education ecosystem and the network that we have. So I know that was a, a mouthful, but hopefully it was a comprehensive view into all the different things that uh, I've had the honor of um, you know working on. Yeah, it definitely sounds like you're doing kind of the whole 360 thing um, and you're able to talk to many, many players in the ecosystem, if not all of them. Yeah. A lot of the work you do, it sounds like it's future thinking, right? I want to take a minute to kind of look back now that the summit's been running 15 years, you've been participating um, the past two or three years, I think. Um, mm-hmm. How has the audience and the makeup of attendees or the companies, whether it's attendees in the summit, the companies participating in the summit, or maybe even just the types of um, startups that you're seeing as part of your deal flow, how have those changed over the past few years? Yeah, so I've had a you know an awesome chance to work on four different summits and coming up on five now. Yeah, the summit's really, really grown, you know, to tell you kind of even the origin story, we actually started it with ASU uh, on their campus in Sky Song, and it was about a 300-person event in you know a sweaty uh, conference room, and now it's about 7,000 attendees. Um, Huge. Yeah, it's just amazing growth. I think it's actually I think what's the beauty of it is as the years have evolved, it's really become this place where people go with a mission to not only broadly change the education space, but also to meet people who equally want to make an impact. And that's really powerful because the, of the makeup of the people. So we like to call it a strange cocktail of different attendees. You've got not only a big contingent of K-12 district leaders and K-12 facing companies, but also those that are in higher ed, those that are focused on policy and, and regulation and a lot of philanthropic groups. Uh, you've also got big workforce oriented groups usually all of these different groups never have a place to convene or connect. And it's actually this weird mixing of these people, teachers being able or educators being able to talk with CEOs one-to-one, which usually they're, they're usually talking to implementers or those focused more on enterprise, being able to chat with startups building for the K-12 space. I think you're seeing a lot of startups that are building connection and bridges between K-12 directly to workforce. And so that's just an example, I think, of the, the really cool organic... Um, and interesting combinations that you get out of the summit where usually if they attend just a higher ed only or a K-12 only summit that's focused on like a trade show, you don't get those types of connections that are really leadership oriented and um, around, you know, getting stuff done. How has that reflected in the conversations that have been happening, um, whether in the conference or outside, like as a result of the industry and the academic world being able to talk to each other? Have people been thinking about problems differently? Have they been approaching problems differently? Um, I don't know if this is something that that you've kind of been noticing. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I think what's so great about the broader ecosystem and having touch points of all of it is that you kind of get to see where you can add value as a convener. And so, for example, for a lot of the tech startups that we meet, it's really important to be able to connect them with a lot of the end users like the superintendents or the higher ed leaders that are using these products. Because sometimes, you know, I think in the tech space, there's a definitely a move fast, break things attitude. And And sometimes when you're dealing with a space like education and real students and real data around those students and actual lives, it's not as easy to just like release a product into the wild and making sure CEOs and founders are always thinking about building with equity and inclusion in mind, thinking about second order effects 
of how they're handling student data and student privacy is really important. And also just broadly, you know, just because you can build something, should you build something and just being very thoughtful about that. And I think when you do create those connections between the end user and the teams building them, there's a lot more of a dialogue and it ends up being a win-win relationship where, you know, the end users don't just feel like they're being sold to to make money out of a situation. And then on the flip side for a lot of these CEOs and startups, it's a really valuable experience. And to be able to always have those touch points with the ultimate clients and end users of your product. And speaking of product, hot topic of today, and by today, I mean (laughs) the past year is artificial intelligence. I'm reminded of exactly what you just said, where I feel like we're at this pivotal moment where Mm -hmm. everyone in the space is asking themselves, just because we can build it, should we be building it? So AI exploded in the past year. Were these conversations reflected in real life in the last conference that you've had and certainly in the companies that you've been talking to? Yeah, uh, definitely. I think seeing it very pervasive in in application and in even just the funding numbers. So there's been a lot of discourse around AI, how that will disrupt education right before this last summit, GPT-4 launched. And so it was a hot topic, being able to see kind of the the consumer facing application of ChatGPT launch right before the summit, just launched a full scale explosion in, in activity in the space and this massive platform shift of everyone realizing how important this technology is. So at the summit, a lot of talk about it, a lot of conversations around what this means for a lot of businesses, if this is an existential threat for them, if it is going to displace workers, if it's going to augment workers, or if it's an amplifier for some of their existing offerings. I think a lot of internal conversations around that. And what we've seen as additional effects or ripple effects of that in more recent months is definitely a lot of startups building in the space. I think a lot of people have seen the opportunity for AI to be applied in the education and workforce space. So a lot of new companies, which is very, very fun for me. I think you've also seen a lot of application of this technology from incumbents in the space. And I'm happy to talk through a little bit more about, you know, yeah. the interesting dynamics we're seeing. And then I think just in terms of just funding numbers, you know, most of the the businesses that are being funded today in the broader tech ecosystem, as well as in ed tech specifically, AI is a core component of those businesses. And I think it's recognized that if you're not leveraging some of this technology, it, it, you're kind of missing out on on the ability to really add a ton of value. And I know I do think there are a lot of questions about like learner facing platforms, but missing out on this chance to leverage it to internally scale and, and increase efficiency as an organization and, and remove some of the silos. I think even internally, there's so much opportunity to make more efficient and more productive organizations. So a lot of activity in the space. Mm. Yeah, something that you said earlier, I found really interesting, which was the incumbents versus the super new startups. It kind of reminds me of in the earlier days of technology when people were becoming mobile first. Um, mm-hmm. And now I feel like there are startups who are AI first. Uh, yeah, I, I, I would love if you could talk about the difference that you're seeing there as well in terms of like how certainly how fast they're building, but also how they're approaching problems and what they're thinking of. Do they approach it with, you know, the incumbents probably have all these like legacy quote unquote knowledge that they've already have that they're working with but are these new startups kind of for lack of a better word better because they're approaching things in an ai first angle yeah so i i definitely think there is a little bit of a like a a david v goliath um type dynamic going on and i think it's actually really interesting if you look at the actual 
foundations of this technology and think through like why some of the historical advantages or disadvantages are very different now with this technology. And so for us, we've also been wrestling with this question, uh, as I mentioned, a ton of startups exploding into the space. But I think we always go back to is this company that we're seeing or this new application, is that a feature or a completely new platform? And so you kind of saw this broadly in the tech space where, uh, you know, startups like Jasper AI raised a ton of money, um, valued at over a billion. And for for, content, for those of you who aren't familiar with Jasper, they're basically building a, a suite of AI uh, writing assistant tools focused on the marketing and sales type roles of any organization, which is really exciting. I think when, you know, early days of GPT, it was like, wow, this will be, you know, verticalized workflow and platform for those professions. But what we've seen happen is, you know, in the rolling or coming months and in recent months, you've had platforms and incumbents in the space like Google and uh, Microsoft, which have, you know, internal models being built out. They've rolled out a lot of these tools as features. So now with Google, you have autocomplete and AI assisted writing within Gmail, as well as Google Docs and all your Google Drive. And it's even better because it's actually trained on existing content and knows you already because they have so much data on you. And you see this in Microsoft and Notion. And so I think that's a really good example of the dynamic that we're seeing in, in education as well as like, we'll see a startup tackle a specific uh, pain point uh, and build a solution for it, which is really exciting. But we always have to ask, is this a feature or an entirely new platform that needs to be built out? Or is this something that an incumbent rolls out as a feature in the coming months? And I think it's important to remember, just because you have the technology, it also means the incumbents and anyone else who has the same idea also does. And so the barriers to technology, while very exciting that it's been lowered so that we can have more builders and innovators in the space, but it also means that anyone can now build with the same amount of tools. So the, the playing field has been pretty even in, in that sense. Um, and then I think just to really, you know, hunker down on other things we're thinking about in this kind of debate between startups and incumbents is just the the key um, advantages to creating a better AI sit in or AI output sit in this kind of unique proprietary data and distribution advantage. And so, like I mentioned with the kind of that Google versus Jasper example, you'll see this in education too, where a lot of the incumbents in the space already have a pretty strong understanding of or, or have a lot of proprietary student data. So they understand what classes students are taking, uh, where what they've historically gotten stuck on. And so, you know, a good analogy would be like a new AI tutor bot, which we've seen quite a few of versus Conmigo. And so if I'm a student, why would I go to a completely different platform when I can stay within a platform I've been using for the last few years, which already knows everything I've learned and my existing learning history, what quizzes I've struggled on. And and so you kind of can see how, you know, that integrated workflow is very powerful. So there's like a unique proprietary data advantage for a lot of these incumbents and then also distribution, right? So with AI, all these technologies and these outputs, the model only gets better or the outputs only get better if you have people to train it on and, and data points. And so I think just as you're, as we see startups, we're just thinking a lot about where data and distribution advantages uh, sit, and and if there are ones, uh, and, and it's okay to I think 
I also don't mean to say that there's no role for startups in the space. There's so many startups we've invested in um, five or six AI uh, AI first businesses in the last few months. Um, so there's a lot of opportunity for disruption. Um, as we all know, innovators dilemma, there's an op- a ton of these startup or incumbents in the space are not going to innovate as quickly or create as, you know, AI user first solution. So there's, I think both, both pros and cons to being, you know, a startup in the space as well as an incumbent. Yeah. I want to turn the question around slightly. Um, we've been talking about like the advantage or the strength of leading mm-hmm. with AI or incorporating an AI on the flip side, is there a scenario where AI wouldn't be the best to, to implement in, um, in the platform? Yeah, for sure. So I mean, we always liken AI to kind of like Promethean fire, right? It's so magical and can unlock so much, but it's also a reflection of humanity's worst qualities. So with these models, it's like garbage in, garbage out. So a lot of the existing biases that you see in humans just only gets amplified in AI. Uh, You have all these stories of how AI... constantly misgenders women of color and, you know, misgenders them as men or, uh, you know, AI services being used by police departments are constantly, there's a lot of uh, examples of wrongful arrests. And so it, there are very dangerous implications of, of this tech when applied to settings like the law or people's lives in the form of, you know, uh, incarceration and such. So very important to think through that. Because of that, there is a lot of questions around just how safe is this technology to release into the wild of in students' hands. So, you know, I, I think a couple of things that are important is one, we don't really understand how a lot of these models work yet. They're essentially black boxes where, as I mentioned, you're inputting, you have no idea how these models are getting to their outputs. And and we we do understand them on like a technical front, you know, we know they're like autoregressive, they're essentially predictive engines, but we don't really, we can't really say this model got to a certain output because of XYZ factors and kind of follow the steps back. And so, and then the technology is advancing where we can get to that point, but we're still not at that stage yet. And then two, I think data privacy is really important in education. So you never want a situation where, for example, I am querying a model as a teacher and it, you know, it wrongfully tells me that this kid is not doing well. And, and it just, there's a lot of, I think, issues around making sure that data is siloed accordingly so that sensitive data is not shared between schools if a company is using the same model or feeding it. So I think questions around that. And then I think ultimately just making sure we're, we're building with the end user in mind and equity and inclusion in mind. And just thinking through, especially in education, what type of technologies or, or whether this technology is actually amplifying and augmenting intelligence or if it is leaving people out. I think there's always been this discussion that for, and, and kind of I'll just end on this note, that's more like high level. And we've been thinking about is uh, we, we've seen the first digital divide where you had the split between the have and the have not students who had internet connectivity, internet access, as well as computers had access to this world of infinite universal information where they could learn. And, and on the other side, students who did not have the, that technology and hardware access. And so that was the first kind of connectivity digital divide that we saw It really manifested in the pandemic. But I do think there's now kind of like a new third digital divide that we have to think about where there could possibly be a world where students who 
have the the resources to pay for it will end up with human tutors and that human touch. So, you know, a human teacher. And then what ends up happening is that if we posit that the connectivity challenge, kids who are sit on lower incomes have to, they have no choice but to only interact with a robot instead of an actual person. And so I also think just zooming out and thinking through broader implications of, yes, it's really exciting that we get to scale this technology, but also thinking through second order and third order effects of who gets included in this amazing AI magic and who gets, you know, potentially left behind. Hmm. That digital divide piece is so interesting because there's that um, Mm -hmm. angle where you're thinking about it in terms of who gets to use the technology and who doesn't from a socioeconomic sense. But as we saw when ChatGPT came out, there was this divide in terms of the public school sector versus the private school sector. And the public school sector was so quick to ban ChatGPT across, I, I think the first state to do it was like New York. I mean, Mm -hmm. they've revoked it now, Um, whereas we saw private schools were kind of more open to the adoption of this new technology. So it's kind of interesting to see, like, the type of people who are the type of institutions that are more willing to adopt these new technologies. But at the same time, the question is, are these also the folks who are going to be benefiting more from the adoption of these technologies? There's kind of like a dissonance in that regard. Um, Yeah, for sure. And I think like the best example is... um, like if you have any sort of you know, credit cards, like it's so annoying to have to, you know, you're talking to a bot, but on the customer service front and it's like, I'll connect you to the blah, I'll transfer you to blah. And it's a customer bot service bot at the other front. And then if you actually need a problem and have to solve a problem, and if you have the resources to pay for it, then you can access like a actual person and customer rep. And so you can see how that like that same dynamic can potentially mm-hmm. manifest in education where if I... I'm just this, you know, your regular person, I can only access an AI and they give me the answer and it takes a longer time or I can actually get access to a real human teacher. So um, I'm not saying that will happen, but it's it's just interesting to see uh, how people are thinking about access and, um, you know, application of this tech. Yeah, for sure. Great conversation. I want to wrap it up by looking even more forward and kind of mm-hmm. broadly the edtech outlook or I guess your personal ideal state of what education technology looks like you've obviously thought about all these emerging texts a lot in a deeply technical sense but also in a, like a broader philosophical sense what's your ideal state of education when it comes to adoption um, of technology and integrating technology um, thinking of the Futurama of education mm-hmm. what does that look like and what do you think is still needed to get to that picture that you have in your head I do think this is like a common trope or, or story that people talk about, but um, there's a book called um, The Young Ladies Illustrated Primer um, by Neil Stevenson, if there are any sci-fi fans there out there. But basically this girl, and it's, it's written, um, I think 20 or so years ago or in the 90s, but basically the premise is that in this sci-fi world, this child, Nell, she gets access to this book, which is called The Primer, and you get to... And that that book is not like any other book. You basically get to talk to it. It is a lifelong learner um, alongside you and a lifelong teacher. It knows the, the, the main character and basically follows her along until she becomes an adult. And I think um, that's a very like high level sci-fi concept, but I do think that reality um, could you know be in the near future where I do think our definition of education, I think for a long time has been, okay, this happens in the school. Um, and then you move on from K-12 into higher ed. And then, you know, there's always been these estates of or institutions of where learning happens. And I do think 
with AI technology and with some of the upcoming innovations, like my dream for the education space is for everyone to have some sort of lifelong teacher in the form of technology alongside them. And so the ability to have not not necessarily AI follow you, but to know your interests and to connect those synapses between your outside of school and in school interests and to be able to blur the lines between home and school and to be able to blur the lines between fun and learning. You know, I, I think right now, because everything, education is very strictly, here's what you're doing at school and this is like education. I think it discounts all the learning that we're doing as employees in our careers, the kind of um, social, emotional and, and um, social skill type learning that we do as employees, or it discounts the type of learning that kids do when they're playing video games. All of that isn't captured. And I think my big dream is for, I think, some form or or the future to be able to capture all the learning that happens across all the different things that we do and all the extracurricular activities that we do outside of what we traditionally think of education and, and be able to blend that and to be able to capture that and to be able to leverage that so that we can actually, you know, live to our our fullest potential. So I know that's a very broad concept, but, um, and I don't know how we get there specifically. I know AI is very important to that, to be able to leverage a, a technology that that is so hyper-personalized that we can achieve one-to-one learning. But yeah, hopefully we'll we'll get there. And that's kind of the, the broader dream. We'll see how long it takes to get there though. For sure, definitely. Amazing. Well, okay. Thanks, Claire, for sharing all your insights. This was a great chat. Yeah, thank you so much.